Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Breaks. I'm Tim Thompson, and this is our co-host, Keith Rao. Say hello, hello Keith. Everyone. Hello. We have a special Saturday morning edition for our Hollywood Breaks today. Um, my commute from LA back to Oregon kind of postponed us for a week. So we're hoping you're enjoying this long weekend and get a chance to kind of walk, walk through the many things that happened this past week. It also gave us a little bit of a break here, Keith, so that you and I can, we might go a little long today because it gave us a few extra things to talk about. A few more hours about things to talk about. <laughs> it's always very deadly. <laughs> it's, yeah, don't give us more time. We yeah, need <laughs> Don't do it. If we had, maybe if we just did this daily, we can get that 15, 20 minute window. Yeah, we do a 15, 20 minute deal and then we're over and done with it. Maybe that's, yeah. that's the way to go. But I think Lydia might strangle us if we made her chase us down every day. <laughs> well, let's start with Morgan. I see that hanging over your shoulder. It's, yes, uh, Morgan. Um, so this was my final film at Fox and my time at Fox. Um, I was only there for the trailers, um, but this is the one sheet that we developed with Lindemann and Associates, also known as LA, mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in the parlance, if you will. Um, and this was all that was cool about this one was um, it was a Ridley Scott production. Um, Luke Scott was the director, who's Ridley's son. That's right. Um, and we had worked with him a little bit on Prometheus. For those of you who are fans of the Prometheus campaign, he did a lot of the extra work with Wayland. We had a TED Talk with Wayland that he shot. Um, he did some stuff work with David. We did a promo for David, who was Michael Fassbender's character in the movie. Um, this was a really fun movie to work on. It was a challenge for sure. Um, I also should give out a shout out to my trailer vendor, Transit, who and Michael Andalina and his team, because this was a bit of a slog. They kept moving the date, which is always the worst thing when you're working on a movie, because you think you're getting to the release and then they push it six months and then it just it just kept going on and on and on it was a, which it was also let you uh, rethink the trailers do yes. more edits change yeah. even more things yeah no deadline was, is the, is the yeah, getting the, the teasers and the trailers into shape for this one was a, was a struggle but um you know they they powered through it um and yeah so this was uh i mean i think it's a really cool image and this was uh one of anna taylor joy for those of you who are queen's gambit fans this was one of her uh, first big movies, actually. Uh, it's kind of very uh, Ridley Scott looking. Yes. Poster, isn't it? Yeah. It really went for the same. yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it, you know the, the the if you look at sort of the tight the M and the N, it's sort of cut off a little bit, so that's kind of keeping with the Alien style, the way mm -hmm. the Alien title, one of the more famous title sequences, the way Alien kind of slowly came on. But also the, like the mysterious kind of noir kind of thing. And that's yeah. really where like Tony, I always thought like Tony was a little bit more color, like you would find color and yeah. splashness stuff. Ridley always kind of stays in that that area. Yeah. yeah. I, I did I did White Squall with with Ridley and I remember really just working on the typeface over and over and over again. I mean I can't tell you how many and it's just these small details. The little details mean a lot to, yeah. to Ridley. And he's <laughs> that's why he's brilliant. Like he doesn't Yeah, that's why he is who he is. I mean he uh, he really knows how to shoot a shoot a shoot a movie. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. amazing and lovely people. My gosh, just some of the great. Yeah, he was always very very. I mean, Luke was great too. I mean, uh, it was his first big feature, um, and you know he was really great to work with, and you know was always sort of upfront with us in terms of what he thought the the issues were, and you know also getting us the footage we needed when we needed it, which is always a challenge when you're trying to do a trailer, because sometimes you can get it, sometimes the filmmaker isn't ready to release it yet, but he was really great in working with us and getting us that stuff and any ADR we needed. 
You know, that, uh, uh, I'm gonna, maybe this is a, a little bit of a tangent, but I remember one of my, the most special moments working with filmmakers, I was at Scott Free one time, I think I was working on G.I. Jane or something. Mm. And, um, but both of them were there, Tony and Ridley were there. So it was kind of just, I don't know, palling around and talking or whatever. Um, but I asked them kind of like, how did you guys get started? And, you know, just they were kid, kids making films together. Like they were just basically goofballs kind of yeah. doing what they could as kids. And they, you can tell like still in their eyes, like knowing that they feel very lucky. And I think they just uh, got Shepard in Studios. Like it was around the same time they just cleared on that thing, which was the iconic studio of their childhood and therefore they owned it. Just like, you know, this idea of success. Very, very impactful as, you know, a person just sitting on the outside as a fan, but also mm -hmm. can appreciate the, what the hard work's there. So great yeah. people, that's good. Yep. Well, I love the poster and shout out to the, the those people that uh, as you said, or went through the entire creative process with you because I know that it could last a long time. It was right. It was it was it was a it was a lot. I mean, it was a struggle to find the storyline that could make the movie um, uh, interesting enough to really pull people into the theater as a promo piece. Um, so it was really it was really a bit of a slog, <laughs> to be honest. But um you know it was one of the first movies i was really kind of given to sort of run on my own i mean my boss also worked with a vendor as well but um you know it was one of the first ones that i really was given a shot to cut my own material so yeah it was very cool yeah hey so let's talk about something that i know was kind of a big deal and probably big for you coming in from fox this yeah. whole like blue sky studios shut down this week yes um you know that's that's something that uh, we probably all saw coming. We know kind of the Disney deal and what, you know, that we knew they were going for the library, not necessarily trying to keep production around. Mm. Um, I, I kind of remember the, the Pixar slash Disney struggle that was happening of like, well, who's in charge of animation yeah. here? And, and can Disney also have an animation studio with Pixar's name attached to it? And I'm gonna say they probably decided with Blue Sky to not ever deal with those politics again and just know this is coming. Yeah. But uh, Blue Sky Studios, um, done. Like they just cut. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, my LinkedIn feed, because obviously I know a lot of you know, people who tangentially know people from Blue Sky. I never really worked on a Blue Sky film. That was more the animation guys in, in, um, in, in the creative advertising department. Um, but, you know, obviously, Scrat was always a big part of all our promo pieces. Like any reels we cut for CinemaCon or uh, anything we cut to show uh, Rupert when he was running the studio always involved some some semblance of Scrat. Yeah. Uh, because he was such a recognizable character. Um, and obviously the Ice Ages were big money makers. Um, they also, you know, they had, they had a fairly decent run. I mean, they had some, they had the Peanuts movie, which did quite well for us, uh, for Fox, I should say um you know they had rio which was a fun movie to work on uh you know so they they had some good really great movies um and it's just sad because it's just another i mean they laid everybody off it was like 450 people mm -hmm. um and you know it, it, it's it's sort of almost the end of an era you know I, I mean i personally i'm not that shocked by it as you mentioned this is sort of par for the course it was always sort of questionable of how you could have three animation studios existing yeah. Um, and I, I do think Disney, and this is my opinion, of course, uh, Disney is going the way of Time Warner when they bought New Line Cinema. Um, 
they said, well, we're buying Time Warner, but you know, we're, I mean, we're buying a new line. We're going to fold it into, you know, the, the Warner Brothers uh, umbrella, but we're going to keep everybody. We're going to keep, they're going to have their own distribution. They're going to have their own marketing. And within like six months, it was yeah. literally just the production team. <laughs> and yeah. they had they kept one person to cut trailers and TV spots, one publicity person, and everybody else was gone. Yeah, um, that, I always feel like the first line that everyone gives in a merger is like, but nothing's going to change. And then, 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 then everything later, everything's changed. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously when Elizabeth Gaber's group was shuttered, that was sort of a sign like, okay, Disney's not going to play the game like, oh, everything's going to be the same. Um, but I think, you know, this is a sign that maybe there may be more coming. Um, it's, it's tough to predict at this point, you know, especially given the uncertainty of what's coming up over the next six or seven months, um, that this could be, you know, a, a sign of things to come. But it, but it is sad because it, it is just another iconic sort of part of Hollywood and sort of the journey and history of Hollywood that is no more. Yeah, to, to me too, like I would, but like my thought process is like the homogenization of, of animation. Like now that one distinct language and those that character form, that stuff also disappears. It kind of reminds me a little bit of unre unrelated in, in result or reason why, but like when Rhythm and Hughes had, you know, basically won the Oscar and then a few few months later it closed. I think they meant the Oscar for the Life of Pi or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then and they were yeah. done and you're just like, yeah. You know, so what you're, you're basically have ILM digital domain, but then you're kind of missing this other kind of creative force. And they were creative force for so many years. And the, the result of that is like you have a lot of unemployed people that were a team together and that team doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And it dissipates in the diaspora takes place. The, the result that at this kind of timing and, 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 and maybe to Disney's credit, this is the time to do it because their distribution isn't there. They have to take some risk to do some cuts through this process. Yeah. So yeah. if it was a plan or not, there's probably good timing here. We can't uh, not give them credit for recognizing that. Yeah, I mean, it's but also the diaspora is something that always kind of like sends people out. Like, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it, it's also sad because they were working on a movie. Like <laughs> they were in the midst of yeah. creating the next movie, and Disney's like, no, we're done. They're not even going to release it. It's over. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's just it, it's just hard when those when those times come and it's just it's it's tough i mean I, the new line i wasn't there when the, the axe fell and they let go of like 500 people i was part of a smaller layoff about six months prior but everybody saw the writing on the wall everyone knew it was coming uh, but it doesn't hurt any less when it does actually happen um, it is the business part of show business i mean it and you're right i mean especially you know, to be working hard and then not be able to launch a film like that. Yeah, a lot of those kind of moments are really kind of, you have to do as a person within this in industry, you, you honestly suffer loss. Like it's, it's some kind of, you know, stages of grief you go through because there are things, ideas that aren't going to become true for you anymore. Yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of it, especially navigating your career, you lean yeah. into certain places and that loyalty doesn't pay off all the time. No, I mean, it, it's, a, it's also because you're, the industry and working in the industry, you're working with these people sometimes, especially up to leading up to releases, it's just, it's 24 seven, it's nonstop, the stress, the, you know, you've got so many things to do and you have little time and it really bonds you. And a lot of people stay at places for a long time. I mean, I stayed at Fox as long as I did because the people I worked with were so great. Like my colleagues were so great. And we were, we are a dysfunctional family, but we were family. And that was sort of how you, you survive the sort of ups and downs and the tantrums from the filmmakers or other studio execs. I mean, it was, you survived it because you were, you were in the trenches together. 
And I think that's what binds it. And that's what makes it so uh, such a tight knit group. Um, and, you know, it's the other thing I'll say is, you know, we talk a lot about how so much of entertainment is siloed on LA, on the West Coast. And, you know, we've got mo and the joke I've made is, uh, you know, most people who make movies live behind gates and work behind gates, where a mass majority of the movie going audience does not. Um, and Blue Sky was on the East Coast. It was in Stanford, Connecticut. So it was in another area that wasn't isolated, you know, I mean, granted, it's the coasts, so mm -hmm. it's not necessarily like they were in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. But at the same and time, it's like, and there's other homes that are in the Yeah, city. I mean, they, they, they were sort of an island unto themselves, which brings a different perspective that you're not necessarily going to be if you're ensconced on a lot in Burbank or Cupertino. Cupertino. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, it's like, it's sort of a loss of that too. I mean, we've seen that the breakdown of film at all living in anywhere on the East Coast. I mean, you've got small little independent films, but with Weinstein Company basically gone, and now Blue Sky, it's sort of the film entertainment area on the East Coast is basically Dunzo, which is again another sort of sad um, result of um, the Blue Sky closure. The um, you know the the. What's interesting though, is that there is opportunities that come from this. Um, mm -hmm. I think if you know the book, The Starfish and the Spider, you kind of know that there's a moment where people believe that something is going to go away because of, a, because of this, but really what happens like a starfish is, is that when it suffers injury, it actually divides up and creates separate starfish. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of a rebirth or a regrowth that comes out of this. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, there's a, there's the magic still exists with some of the major players. Clearly survival is going to be part of, many people's choice and career. Um, uh, necessity is the mother of innovation, so we'll see something come. Um, but there's a lot of computers and a lot of um, uh, investment in time, a lot of great relationships, and a good creative force. I'm going to, and better time than, than ever to get to micro distributions. Uh, I'm going to yeah. guess there's going to be small teams we're going to see come out of this, and it'll be like the beginning of uh, of Pixar in a way where those yeah. small teams were almost kicked out, therefore they created Pixar. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. I mean, you've got a lot, you know, as I said, 400, 400 plus people were laid off. That's a lot of animation talent that is going to be on the market. Now, if like someone like Apple TV Plus or, you know, maybe Amazon or Netflix who wants to start building an animation team because that's a great way to get families to sort of grab that, sort of have that animation film that just becomes a hot property. Um, that's one great way to get yourself in that game. And now you got a lot of people that are looking for work. And so if you want to start up another animation house, you got plenty of talent that's ready, ready and willing to work. So, I mean, it's definitely an opportunity for sure. Yeah. It's just a matter about whether or not anyone jumps at, jumps at it. And from, from, from my experience, people that, um, you know, if, if you, they get laid off or poached, you know, like they lean into somewhere else. But if you have a lot of people sitting around for even just a little while, a couple of months, mm -hmm. they're going to create something themselves and go with yeah. it. You yeah. know, it's so interesting that you can see the pivot that takes place within Hollywood. And again, something totally unrelated, but you can see this as a microcosm is this uh, Gina Carano uh, situation mm -hmm. where yeah. the minute she was dropped by the Mandalorian team, um, Daily Wire picked her right up. Mm -hmm. And Daily Wire kind of recognizing the opportunity that was there and grabbing it. Clearly, you know, Daily Wire has its own thing they're doing. And mm -hmm. they're, I'm going to guess they, you know, it's a little bit more calculated than just finding someone that's an opportunist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think, you know, they recognize that 
everything that's gone on. I mean, we don't have to rehash it here. I'm sure all your viewers know what went down. But, uh, you know, Gina Carano, I met her briefly at Comic-Con years ago during the Deadpool um, promotion. And she's a very sweet, lovely woman. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny that, you know, this all happens. And, you know, there, there's the Daily Wire. Like, you know what? This is an opportunity for us. They want to get into the entertainment game. And this is the way to do that. And you pick up a talent who still has a lot of years left, obviously. And she wants, she probably has dreams and movies that she wants to make. And now she has a partnership where that, those dreams are reality. And, you know, Daily Wire is not in LA anymore. They have very tiny, like I think three or four people in LA and the base of their operations are now in Nashville, Tennessee. They moved out of LA. So that's another thing as I just referenced earlier, sort of pulling the sort of epicenter of the entertainment and the content space away from the coasts and sort of more into the mixing it into the rest of the country can lead to better, better content perhaps. And I think- this Or at is least more diverse. Clearly there was, yeah, and maybe for good reason, some conflict that was taking place, but that conflict is a necessity and really a reflection on too much of what we're seeing within our, our, our country and throughout the world. That conflict doesn't necessarily go away because we wish it away, yeah. but to create people that are uh, developing and have the opportunity to develop the poster just being silenced. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to see any, anybody really kind of be able to control any, any part of this industry in such a way. And there's yeah, opportunities. I mean, so I, there's blue sky, these blue skyers that are out there, the small production companies out there, like there's opportunity for them now to be seen more than ever. And this breaking of Hollywood, which you and I often kind of lament the things that have passed, right? Yeah. We kind of, we grew up in the blockbuster days and this really great pop culture moments we'd have, those are gone. And that's what you and I are recognizing that the things that are gone create new opportunities, new visibility, new control. And we're all trying to navigate that. The cancel culture is part of that. And um, it's the reconciliations that need to happen. Um, some of the, the gross issues that took place are being broken up and, and no longer um, have these large media moguls that have control and, and yeah i mean i i think that's the, that's the that's the great development about this and it wasn't even it wasn't even i think 24 hours before ben shapiro who's basically the 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 face and voice of daily wire just came out and said oh we hired gina she's going to come work with us i mean like less than 24 hours later um and that's something great to see that there is sort of other opportunities to create content besides the big five studios and then the big four streamers like I mean, granted, they're the ones with the big pocketbooks, but Daily Wire has a very dedicated audience and that's in more eyeballs. And all it takes is that one hit, that one piece that sort of gets people talking and the numbers will start to go up and people will realize. And it'll be interesting to see when things, because right now Daily Wire is really using it as sort of the platform, the stream, and they're basically a streamer, more or less. Yeah, that's right. But it'll be interesting to see what happens when the theaters start to open up again whether or not they'll go for a theatrical release play, whether or not they'll try to do a traditional marketing campaign. You know, the first movie, Run, Hide, Fight, was very quick and sort of, you know, they had one trailer and you know, it wasn't exactly a traditional marketing campaign per se, but that's not to say that eventually they, may, they could get there and eventually have another theatrical um, campaign as well. And again, it's just more opportunities for more content to be seen that's, and stories to be told. And I think that's great. I think there is something to be said for some of the studio execs. They are good to most of them are good at what they do and sort of guiding a film to its completion, but they do come with some bias in terms of their political viewpoints or, you know, how they perceive the world because living in LA, 
you live LA. I mean, you don't know what it's like to live in Nebraska. So um, there are universal stories. Um, you know, the hero's journey is universal. So, you know, what's what makes movies like Star Wars such a success, that it's a, something that speaks innately within us. And I think there are lots of stories left to be told. And the more opportunities people have to create those stories and get them out to the audience, I think the better off we'll all be. You know, you, uh, you made a great point in that the, the, the pandemic actually in shutting down the theaters kind of pushed distribution to the, like the lowest common denominator, right? Make it and post it. That's what we're all doing. Yeah. And now the world is flat when it comes to distribution. There isn't any more distinguishable event one from the other. Like maybe it's on Disney Plus instead of Hulu or something like that. So that there's these you know small channel differences, but I'm still viewing the same quality of video over the same television set through the same sound system and there isn't anything more to distinguish it. So the smaller players with the world flat, the world flat now in distribution can play equal to the greater players. Yeah. And the longer the pandemic plays itself out, the more opportunity that for them to level the playing field. Yeah. And then yeah. the re-release or the, when the theaters open up and the releases change, we'll see which studios have the power to even get into the theater space because that's yeah. going to be some of the challenge. The viewing, who's going to come out and view things? Like I'm, I can imagine a day where the blockbuster still doesn't make sense to distribute in theater because there's not enough going audience to do it. But a small film can very, very easily make up um, their, their investment in a small distribution and the small distribution works in, in a theater where people aren't rolling out and filling up every seat. Yeah. So you can almost imagine these smaller distributions picking up and, and gaining time. Mm. You know, the, the one that I keep thinking of right now is like, and I think the next canary in the coal mine, as, as you were saying before with Tenet, is the Black, the Black Widow release is coming. Like mm -hmm. it, their deadline is, is May, I think is what the release date was. And yep. man, that's there. You know, um, coming up quick. <laughs> I they have to decide, like the day after tomorrow, right? If they're yeah. going to go to the theaters or not, because yeah. they have a big push to well, to do something and see if they can. Well, they it. have. I I think the going consensus they have about three or four weeks um, until they have to make a call in terms of whether or not they're going to stick to their date. I mean, we still have sixty to seven percent theaters closure. Theaters closed. Um, New York is starting to soften a little bit on you know on uh, bigger events so that may mean theaters are going to start to reopen which would be a good sign um but you know vaccine the vaccine rollout still complicated and problematic and slow and again it's we talked a little bit about these competing surveys 80 one survey says 80 percent of people want to go back and another survey says no i never i don't really know want to go back because i can watch movies here mm -hmm. um, at my home and i want to do other things i want to go outside i want to go to a ball game i want to go to a concert before i get stuck in another you know giant warehouse type place with a bunch of other people um so it'll but, be but also like it doesn't that's the general audience like um in yeah. this case like it's kevin feige like is it like 80 percent of kevin feige wants to go to theaters or 20 percent of kevin feige wants well to i mean again it, it the uh, the tenant comparison i think is pretty apt here because much like christopher nolan kevin feige is a you know big theatrical guy i mean he arguably is a big champion of it for very good reason. I mean, he built the Marvel Universe, a fantastic cinematic universe. And I think seeing those movies on a big, a big screen versus a smaller screen is a completely different experience. Marvel movies were built to be seen in a theater. And I think that's his big push right now. And, you know, on the earnings call, the Disney execs said, listen, we're, commit, we're, we're sticking to the May 7th date. That's what we want. That's what we're going for. It's a theatrical play. 
back in December during the big brouhaha Disney um, investor show. Kevin Feige was one of the few people who actually said the word theatrical. <laughs> so, you know, he is a big fan of it. Um, so I think that's sort of weighing into it as well. And it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, when they make that call. And again, I think it's gonna be come down to how many theaters are open, um, what the balance is. I'm sure Kareem Daniels is gonna be involved in those conversations. This will probably be one of his first big sort of tests in terms of how he plays into decision-making in terms of where the content is put. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. And then right after that, Universal's up to the plate uh, about whether or not they want to release Fast and Furious 9. Um, they pushed it an entire year. They were one of the first ones to punt their big franchise to the next year, to this year. Um, so they'll be the next at, at bat in terms of whether or not they're going to embrace a theatrical release. Yeah, they're the 29th, which I believe is Memorial Day weekend. So it'll be interesting to see where you know, we are with vaccinations, where the comfort level is amongst people. It'll be warmer across the country by that point. Um, but I, so I, I got to be honest, I don't think Universal has, you know, it is a, for them, it's much more challenging if it's worth it or not to go to the theater. Like they, it's a lot more critical for them to go to the theaters or not, opposed to like Disney with Disney Plus. You know, now they have almost 100 million subscribers. Like they've added 20, 21 million more in the last quarter. So they have 100 million subscribers. If you move Black Widow onto Disney Plus, it's not a total burn. Um, luckily, Wonder Woman wasn't released in the theaters. And I think uh, Black Widow was kind of a response to Wonder Woman. Um, so it, they can kind of keep up that pattern. Although it'd be great to see um, if they kind of leaned in and they kind of, the, the challenge of meeting a, a female superhero like Wonder Woman into, in the Marvel Universe, this was their chance to kind of step up and, and yeah. find that female character, strong female character. Um, but Universal doesn't have that. I mean, I don't, to me, Peacock is, is like the comparison of HBO Max to a brand that doesn't necessarily match. D Disney, Disney Plus, clearly a, a strength in the comparison of what's there. Mm. Um, but a, a Peacock release for Fast and Furious really seems like well, the same. Well, again, that, 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 I think the challenge, again, for Universal is maybe that is a movie that's meant to be seen in the theaters. You have spectacular stunts, loud music, big explosions that's the kind of thing you want to see in a theater you don't want to that's see what, that yeah. in your you're mixing place. it to a theatrical yeah. uh, space you're not mixing it to a television space when yeah, you're... yeah i mean it, it is the movie that begs to be seen in a theater so again the, i mean troll world tour which was one of the first ones they pushed into the pvod um it, that doesn't necessarily have yeah. to be seen in a theater but Little kids are watching on their iPads. They don't care. That needs to be seen in a theater. I, I, I can't imagine them doing some, a, a sort of HBO Max, you know, release in theaters and on Peacock. Um, you know, it'll, it'll depend on where the numbers are. That's really going to be what it's coming down to. Now, granted, the, maybe where the one place where the tenant comparison starts to collapse a little is that we're sort of on, arguably on the downswing of the pandemic. Whereas then we were sort of still coasting and nobody really knew where it was going. Now we sort of like, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a matter of now we have to start analyzing com audience comfort to going back to the theater. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of sort of uh, attempts to bring audiences back to various places. Like I live concerts 
That's what uh, I was just going to say that. Like, hey, is this the tipping? Is Fast and the Furious seventy-five or whatever we're on right now? Fast and Furious is the Fast and Furious franchise. Is it going to be the tipping point that drives people into massive viewing audience? Like, yeah. I almost feel like we need that. We need a Live Aid type concert. We need one big concert of Woodstock, even just something that you know no one planned on. Well, get it out of their system. You get it out of the system. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we just all go to Florida for a weekend. We might get, just get out of our system and come back yeah. and feel okay or whatever. Yeah. I mean, but there's it, something that breaks us so that a movie theater doesn't feel risky because you've done right. something else outside of it. Yeah. But I'm not, if, I've, if I'm risk adverse, I don't know if Fast and the Furious is the one that's going to drive me there. I, even Black Widow is going to have a challenge of driving some people into a theater to view it. I think they're all, I mean, I, 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 it's something that you know, I've been talking about. I don't know, man. I'd see Maverick. I'd take the risk. All the uh, oh, I get that. that goes without saying. I mean, I'm going to see that movie regardless. Like, I, I, Top Gun, I grew up with that movie, the music. Right. And I just, that, that's a, that's a, right, right. A, we're no basically all me. programmed and we're like, I'll, I'll wear 10 masks to go see that movie in the theater. But uh, it, it's the, the idea that you could just go back to the same experience and I, I'm not feeling any sense. Um, the industry is really recognizing that there needs to be some changes if you want to bring people back. I mean, there are people that want it. Um, yeah. There was an opinion piece in the Post, New York Post this past week, which I thought was, was, was really well written. And she made an argument that, that I think the Academy would be wise to pay attention to, that going to see a movie, and she was very apt, she was talking about movies and seeing movies in the places like, for example, she was referencing a Spike Lee movie and seeing it in New York in a theater in New York, it's a different experience versus seeing it sitting in your living room. And it also heightens the story, the movie itself. Like, you know, she talked about um, uh, The Most Dangerous Woman. I can't remember the name of the movie. I'm blanking on it. But it's the one that um, Carrie Mulligan in it. It's got a lot of good press. And she said, you know, that movie would be a lot better if you saw it in a theater um, yeah. with a bunch of other people. And I mean, I think that's what the argument that needs to start being made. And I think a lot of the theater chains, yes, I know they're dead broke, but they, if those execs aren't sitting in a room figuring out like, how can we improve the movie going experience to get people back? Then they deserve to go out of business. Yeah. And I, I again, like I, I just think the blockbuster might have a bigger challenge in the in more independent films there, but I'm with you. I don't like seeing what's upon a time of Hollywood at this, at the Cinerama dome. Like that's the place that's where you're supposed to see that film that it, it's yeah. meant for that. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah. to have that experience there instead of just like, you know, watching it on my phone while on an airplane or something like that. Like that doesn't, right. doesn't really match. Um, does yeah. That's correct. There, there's a, I, again, like I think we're just identifying that the, the changing world has opportunities, but some also new reality. And if we, if we keep comparison ourselves backwards, we're going to always struggle. But the opportunities that are coming, there might be some, some new breakthroughs that are taking place. And really that's what you and I are most... Um, like optim optim optimistic about is like the, just to get the teams back together making content uh, yeah. knowing that they're we're going to recover in some form um mm. but i want to get back to pop culture experiences i want to get back to having water cooler experiences we're all kind of watching the same thing. yeah i don't want to zoom water cooler moment i i miss i miss sitting in an office and you know you come in and there was some big premiere or some movie over the weekend and you know you yeah. the the bowl with somebody next to you about the movie and yeah i miss those experiences i do um, I, honestly you know the uh, california 
Um, the recall of Gavin Newsom, which it seems like they have all the numbers in there. California is responding to something of saying like, hey, enough is enough. We need to start thinking about a more proactive way of recognizing what's there. And we're not just going to sit inside. And yeah. I think everyone is looking at Florida and saying, what the heck? Like, how do they get to have a Super Bowl and Super Bowl parties and no one's yeah. freaking out? And in California, there's there's still a major lockdown with very different numbers. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, obviously a level of responsibility, but leadership has to step in there. And um, th there might be some changes to taking place just uh, statewide. New York is uh, definitely, obviously, majorly impacted. We all watched the witness that. Mm. They're very smart about uh, recognizing the shutdown, doing what they had to do. But now they're op opening things back up and piece by piece, like someone's going to take responsibility to do yeah, it. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's communicating the idea that the virus, the virus is here. We're going to have to learn to live with it. So let's get back to sort of doing the things that we all used to enjoy prior to March 10th, 11th, sort of 2020, when yeah. everything or, shut down. Or at least so, by May so we can watch Black Widow in the theater. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we can go out to the theater and watch Black Widow. And definitely by July so I can go watch Maverick. Keith, I think we're going to have to meet in the middle and just go to watch, watch a movie in Utah because I'm telling you, those right, theaters are open. And I mean, granted, my wife might freak out if I'm going to get on a plane, but... <laughs> just quarantine for two weeks afterwards. Come on. Yeah, man. I can do Utah. <laughs> yeah. We can be in Salt Lake, maybe ski if it's you know, in the middle yeah. of the winter. But Perfect. Not, but. Love it. All right, my friend. Well, that was a happy Saturday to you. Appreciate you uh, yeah. moving time to make this thing possible. And Lydia and Connor, thank you guys both for being flexible also. We couldn't do it without you guys behind the scenes. Um, there's a lot more coming up in this week. We have a long weekend happening, but we'll kind of keep eye on all the shift and changes. And we will be watching these deadlines coming up because I think that's going to be the clearest indicator of what's coming what at us that? in Hollywood yeah. and all that's mm -hmm. coming up. Um, and soon we're going to have other guests coming up. I know that you've been um, brewing and finding uh, more friends to drag onto this uh, podcast of ours. Um, we did some new outreach. Friends. New friends might be coming on as well. That's what I was going to say. We've been through outreach on LinkedIn. You guys know who you are and we've been reaching out to you. So get some uh, more voices on this thing because uh, some pretty big names out there watching and, and um, participating in our conversations online. So more to come. Mm -hmm. uh, until next time, we'll see you on Hollywood Breaks.